the daily experience of the family table helps us to prepare for the Eucharistic table. It helps us to know and love God, our families, ourselves. And if we're grounded in those experiences, we're much better able to meet Christ in the Eucharist because he is God. He reveals to us our divine family, and he shows us what it means to be a person. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB about how real people live out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today's Made for Love episode is the power of the table, which is a phrase that Bishop Caggiano uses when he speaks about the importance of people sitting down together and sharing a meal. We're going to talk about the table, especially as it impacts family life. Eating meals together as a family is one of those things that seems really simple, but can be difficult to pull off in the fast pace of American life. It's also easy to underestimate its power and importance. We would eat dinner together just about every night. Definitely all the holidays, we would always get together with our family, and like extended family too, like all of our cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. It was just a blast. (laughs) Brendan Glasgow is a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Washington. He credits the time spent at the family table for helping him to discern his vocation to the priesthood. Consistently, my dad would always, always lead us in grace before meals. He would pray, you know, just the normal blessing, like, bless us the Lord, and these, I guess, and then we all kind of just join in. Everybody knows that. But then he'd then name every one of the children. Thank you for Thomas, Brendan, James, Daniel, Claire, Bernadette, Mary Beth, Mommy, he might mean a couple other people, Grandma and Papa, and he's very specific with his prayer intentions and just very um, sincere. And then he would always close it out with a prayer that his dad would pray that we would uh, love mercy and, and walk humbly with thee, O Lord. Brendan's family also invited priests to join the family table. So I would see the priest, you know, at church, and then I would see him around our kitchen table. That made the priesthood not seem so foreign. I was able to see the priest as a person. It was a little more relatable. Our next observations come from Christina Sterfacci, who is a Catholic school teacher in Phoenix, Arizona. Christina argues that eating dinner as a family is critical for children in understanding their identities as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. My name is Christina Sterfacci. I've lived and worked in the Diocese of Phoenix since 2005. She emphasizes the power of the table in her academic work, noting that what's most important isn't how gourmet the food is, but that the family is just being together. She had this experience growing up. What I remember most about all the time that I spent at the table growing up wasn't so much a quantity or quality of food. We definitely didn't have elaborate meals every night, weeknight meals were very basic. It was really about the time that we spent together, eating, talking, discussing, learning, laughing. Those experiences continued into my adult life, uh, living in France, having good friends who loved to cook and share meals together. Uh, It's one of my favorite things to do, to cook and to bring people together around the table. Christina notes that while making family dinner happen on a regular basis may not be easy, It is always worth it. When I was young, without anyone telling me this, 
the experience of being around the table every single night, interacting with each one of my family members, instilled in me that I wasn't just a girl who went to school and came back to sleep upstairs in the pink room at the Strafaci Hotel. Being around the table with my family reminded me without words that I was a key part of the Strafaci family. And home cooking is part of the picture. Cooking is a very important part of the preparation of a meal because it's a very personal act, meaning that the person who cooks actually influences the food in a very personal way. My mom has a creative way of making pancakes, and my dad's way of putting together a salad is pretty unique. But whether the results would be considered good or bad, according to the standards of a professional chef, really don't matter. The point is that nobody else makes pancakes like my mom. They're her pancakes. They reflect her creativity, her love for our family, her memory of my grandmother's recipes, her vocation as a mother, her knowledge of her family's likes and dislikes. Christina's mom had a funny way of making pancakes, for example. My mom was afraid that we weren't getting enough vitamins in our diet. Even though we took a multivitamin, vitamin C, bee pollen, all sorts of vitamins, she was still afraid we weren't getting enough vitamins. And so she had a habit of putting carrots into the pancake batter. None of us knew this until we got older, and we discovered that for many years she had been pureeing carrots into the pancake batter. And, you know, as we got a little older, if she didn't put carrots in the pancake batter, we actually complained because the pancakes tasted bland. Every family can figure out their own way of making the family table a priority. Christina tells the story of one family. Their four oldest boys all play football, and the parents made the decision together that during the fall season when they played football, no matter what time the older kids got home, that's when they would have dinner, even 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Now, the boys knew that they needed to not waste any time in between school and practice in order to get their homework done because they were responsible for setting the table, saying grace, and cleaning up. And who says the family meal has to be in the evening? A similar family with kids ranging from 2 years old to 17 years old, they made the decision that their family meal would take place early in the morning. Dad had a position that kept him away from home almost every evening, so they decided that mornings would be their time around the table. They got up extra early in order to make sure that they could spend time together. Part of the kids' chores before they left for school was making sure that the kitchen and eating area were clean and cleared away of any clutter. I talked briefly with Bishop Malone from Buffalo about his family. I asked if they ate dinner together every night. My family is my mom and, was my mom and dad. They're in heaven now, I'm sure. And my sister and I and various dogs we had along the way. But most nights we did. Most nights we did. You know, not, not every night, because my sister and I had, at different points, especially in high school, we had after-school activities and stuff. But uh, most often we did. Usually it was a simple, uh, just a simple meal together. And Bishop Malone points out that the family meal is where families discuss things, and that doesn't always go smoothly. Things that happened during the day would be discussed Sometimes family squabbles would erupt, and my sister or I would have to be corrected. My mother was usually the one to correct us. My father would back her up. 
But uh, sadly, as we all know, that's something that's become less and less common these days because of the many, many options now that the young people, children and teens, and parents, and parents who have to get their teens to their options uh, are dealing with. So I, I know from my friends of mine with young folks that the family, the family dinners are in many cases more an exception than the rule. And that's the just, I mean, it is what it is, but I think something is lost in, is lost in all of that. Bishop Cajano from Bridgeport also sees the family table as extremely powerful. I had mentioned in Orlando the power of the table. The older I get, the more I realize that so much of my life revolved around the celebrations we shared at table. And, and everything that happened there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything happened at the table, but it was there. So we had those traditions. Eating meals together was a big part of Bishop Caggiano's family heritage. My parents were Italian immigrants, yes. And did you do all the Italian things, like the seven fishes? Oh yeah, of course, oh my gosh, oh yes. We had, and again, I look back and how blessed that time was. It was a simpler time. But for example, there were the traditional holiday celebrations. I, I noticed when I went to high school that I had the vast majority of my classmates at Regis in the city were not Italian-American. And we would come to holiday time, especially when I was a freshman. And it was just a very different way of, of, of expressing the Catholic faith. Like, for example, Christmas, Christmas Eve is far more important than Christmas Day. Epiphany was far more important than New Year's Day. Okay? Palm Sunday rivaled Easter in many ways because they were the occasions when the family came together to eat. Now we're going to turn to a couple families to hear about their family tables. Here are the Raps. Hi, I'm Craig Rapp. And I'm Stephanie Rapp. And we have been married for eight, going on nine years. We have two kids, Liliana and Liam, and Liliana is three and Liam is a year and a half old. Stephanie and Craig started a tradition at dinner time when it was just the two of them, and they have now introduced it to their children. Similar to the examine at the end of the day that you're like looking over for your day and trying to just kind of reflect and see like where you saw God that day or if you made a choice that you would need to kind of ask forgiveness for or something where you felt like God was really working through you and, and things like that. So Craig and I had started during our dinner doing that and we kind of just uh, we made like a what would it be like an alliteration we called it praise pardon proud and petition. And we would just say, like, one thing that day that we praise God for, a pardon if there was, like I said, if there was something we needed to ask forgiveness for or something that we knew, you know, we didn't do well at. And then something we felt proud, like God was working through us, and then a petition, like a prayer request for that day. So Craig and I have done that for years, and we've always done that with our kids. Our 18-month-old is just starting to talk. But our three-year-old is so fun because same thing, she's, she's already doing that. So hearing how she saw God that day or she will tell us if she made a bad choice that day or what she wants to pray for. And we just try to go around and we make it as quick as possible because we don't want it all to be like forced, structured conversation. But it's just become very natural for us and something that the kids expect and we expect and we just go pretty quickly through it. Craig thinks that the nature of the dinner table is that of undivided attention. For me, it's undivided attention and the opportunity to really sit two feet, three feet away from your kids and your wife and be able to look them in the eye. And, and yes, you're eating, but really the reason you're there is less to eat and more to interact with the family. 
it's that closeness and I think just the opportunity to ask them questions and you're kind of, you know, you have a captive audience because if they want to eat dinner and they want to eat, then they have to also interact with you too, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of that incentive as well. Of course, with really small children, having a civilized meal is a challenge. We have to ask them to sit down often. <laughs> I mean, I think it also depends on what we're eating. Like if it's one of their more favorite meals, they tend to sit and eat it pretty quickly and we, you know, interject our questions when we can and try to talk with them and stuff. But I would say we have a good 15-ish, 10 to 15 minutes where everyone's sitting and calm and eating and having a conversation and we're playing music and we're joking around. And then when you try to expand, you know, get past that with a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, that's when it gets really difficult. Liam, fortunately, is still kind of locked into a high chair situation, so he can't, you know, he can squirm, but he can't really get out. But Lana tends to want to run around, and, and a lot of it, she's, she's actually trying to be helpful. Usually she's getting something for someone, but it's really an excuse for her to get us. We do have to remind them often to sit down and, and stay at the table, and we've been actually working on that ourselves because I think it's really easy to be like, well, it's just, you know, we're tired at the end of a work day. It's easy to say to them, okay, go ahead and get up, but recently we've tried to nip it in the butt a little bit because it's getting a little extreme. It's it's something we're always working on, though. And it always helps to have a small bribe ready. Yeah, we've also found that ice cream helps to get them to sit in their seat if you <laughs> offer ice cream later in the meal. So. You know, we do bribe. The wraps also have another tradition that helps to keep things interesting and engaging at dinner time. We started doing two minutes to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Like, you have two uninterrupted minutes, and it worked for a little while. And then it got to the point where, you know, neither of the kids really wanted to say about their days. But the whole goal behind that was to allow the kids an opportunity to have uninterrupted, this is how my day was. Lana did it a few times, and she gave us some good stuff, and so we tried to keep it going. And then it fizzled. But I think even if they don't take you up on it, you're telling them, I want to hear what you have to say, and, I, and so much so that I'm just going to give you two minutes all to yourself. Two minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but for a three-year-old, that's an eternity. It's really important to just give them that stage and, and just let them know that you want to hear from them. Stephanie notes that the conversation at the family table is a part of remote marriage preparation for their kids. And I also think showing them that Craig and I care about each other, too. So, like, we each have our Mm -hmm. two minutes, and sometimes Craig will ask me, how was your day? And if I start talking and maybe one of the kids interrupts or something, he'll correct and say, we're listening to Mommy right now. So also just demonstrating to them how much he wants to hear what I have to say, and I think that's really important. Marriage prep, of course, starts at birth, and they're learning about what love is and what marriage looks like right from the beginning. So I think that's also important to model that as a couple, that you have the respect and the time to want to hear each other also. Yeah, it's a really good point. More for the parents at this point than the children, the raps have a rule about technology at the table. I'm not saying we're the best at this, but we have a rule that there's really no phones at the table. No computers, no TV, the TV's off. Um, and we, we do play music, but otherwise, that's about it. We have our date nights, too, and that's just a rule for date nights as well. We try to take away any distractions. I think technology just defeats the purpose of why you're all coming together at the end of the day. It's an opportunity to have undivided attention with each other and really focus in on each other and end the day on a positive note, which is spending time as a family. So once you have technology in that picture, it really takes away from that. Even Pope Francis has something to say about this in Amoris Laetitia, number 50, where he's writing about the responses that the church received in the pre consultations. Quote, Many of the respondents pointed to the problems families face in raising children. In many cases, parents come home exhausted, not wanting to talk, and many families no longer even share a common meal. Distractions abound, including an addiction to television. This makes it all the more difficult for parents to hand on the faith to their children. 
end quote. The reps encourage families to take incremental steps if they feel unable to commit to a nightly family dinner. It doesn't have to be every night. You don't have to expect perfection. Craig and I both do work, so it is definitely hard, but I think it's still possible. And even if it just starts with one night a week and gradually becoming two or three or even making a point on Sundays or the weekends or, you know, just being finding a time that works for your family and being flexible with the family as well. Speaking of flexibility, now we'll hear from the Roters, whose kids are older, so they have to be more flexible. I'm Tim Roter. I'm the Associate Director for the Office of Lady Marriage, Family Life, and Youth. I'm Lisa Roter. Tim and I have been married for 25 years. We have six kids, ages 24 down to seven. Tim and Lisa realized that if they didn't work at it, the family table might disappear. It's easy to kind of manage family life as one thing to check off the to-do list after the next. Also with devices, you know, phones and iPads and everything becoming prevalent in most homes, including in ours, especially with our teens, it just made me realize that we needed to take a breather and the things on the to-do list could wait. We didn't necessarily have to make it to every single activity. Our family time was important. Especially as our boys were getting in their teen years and we had some younger ones as well, things are crazy. The schedule's all over the place with sports and, and jobs and schoolwork and friends. We didn't set any hard rules, but we just really say, you know what, mealtime's important. We need to family FaceTime. We need to turn off all the other items and spend a few minutes eating together and asking each other how things are going today and just having that check-in time. So Tim and Lisa look at the calendar for the week and plan out how to make it happen. Let's say on a, on a Wednesday, we have a few different kids doing different activities that are maybe unavoidable. We try to find the time where we're actually all going to be able to be together it might be at 4.30 in the evening, Tim's home a little early that night, or it might be at 7.30 at night, but we try to find the time where the majority of us are going to be together and then we would plan to have dinner around that time. And it doesn't have to be something fancy. I think in this day and age, we try to have everything look Instagram ready and everything perfect, and it doesn't have to be that way. It's just getting everybody fed at the same time, face-to-face, around a table. I'm pretty relaxed in the kitchen. I have the boys help. They help cut up vegetables. They're folding napkins. The Rotors adopted the motto, no one eats alone. Even though someone's coming in from lacrosse practice and we're waiting to see who's picking up our daughter from swimming and trying to coordinate those times, even if everybody's not there, we still try to make it a point that no one eats alone. So if somebody's coming home a little later, we save them a plate, we'll take the time and you know, warm it up and sit down with them and just have at least a brief conversation. We found that just very helpful for our whole family and just the regular bonding and air and love that you know all families really want and desire. Everyone has to pitch in to make family dinner work. We have some assignments. They're fairly loose. It's more that they know certain things need to be done and we do assign them. There's a couple kids that typically are doing, they're in charge of the dishwasher. Usually we have one of the older boys is in charge of washing the pots and pans. I usually have the youngest ones at the table. So 
we don't have a chart for that or anything, but just some pretty standard. You know, a lot of times those fall to the, the, the individuals that are at home. You know, so, right, whoever's so at home the most. That's not my job. That that's point. not my job, but, you know, right. like, hey, but you're, you're the one here, and it's still got to get done, so let's just pitch in and let it, let's get it done. Lisa has a few ideas for people who find the prospect of nightly family dinner overwhelming. One suggestion might be to start with a Sunday. Almost anyone can probably find an hour or so on Sunday to make a meal. Again, it doesn't have to be a fancy thing, but just pick a time where everyone's going to be together and sit down together and eat together. You can also have fun themes like Taco Tuesday or do breakfast for dinner. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, and it doesn't need to be something perfect. It's just about being together, being present to each other, being able to look each other in the eye and, and just relax. Family dinner takes effort, but it's not impossible. There's ways to be creative. It's just a matter of being aware and conscious and then intentional about that. And then, of course, don't beat yourself up if you're, everything's not perfect or, like she said, Instagram ready. The important part is that you're spending the time together, working together, you're trying to do it in a somewhat peaceful manner. And that, we found, is definitely doable. It doesn't look perfect, but, you know, we're doing it together. Okay, y'all, let's not forget about single people. My name is Mary Beth Benacci. I'm a Catholic speaker and author. What else do you want to know? Mary Beth explains why dinner time is sometimes a lonely time. So in the time we were little, dinner's about community, and I think we're kind of made for that. I mean, when you look at even the scripture analogies, heaven is a feast and a banquet. Mealtime isn't just about getting nutrition. It's supposed to be about relationship and about community and about you. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to be a solitary activity. It's very difficult to cook for one. I just kind of say, any way you can make it work, find ways to eat with other people. Mary Beth's friend, Patty, gets an award for thoughtfulness. When I was living in Phoenix, there was a family at the church. The mom was a friend of mine. They had two small kids. And like a lot of people, a lot of people were very nice and said, you come over for dinner anytime. And I appreciated that. But it's not like I was going to show up at the door or call and say, yes, I'd like to come to dinner tonight. My friend Patty actually called me pretty much every day at 3 o'clock and said, are you joining us tonight? I didn't every night, but I did several times a week, and that meant so much to me. Pope Francis says in Amoris Laetitia, number 324, quote, Led by the Spirit, the family circle is not only open to life by generating it within itself, but also by going forth and spreading life by caring for others and seeking their happiness. This openness finds particular expression in hospitality, end quote. It's not just do a pathetic single person a favor, but it's enriching everybody. It's kind of expanding the circle for your family and for your kids and certainly doing a wonderful thing for the single person involved, but it can be a beautiful thing for your family too. I've benefited from this myself. In fact, and I swear this was initiated by them, and I didn't tell them that I was working on this episode for the podcast. A couple I live near, who have four kids, asked if I'd like to pick an evening a week to come to dinner. As my friend put it, I mean, we're eating anyway. And I actually teared up a little because it really is such a gift when the alternative is to heat something up in the microwave or hit up the Whole Foods hot food bar again. So the family table isn't just a routine for family cohesion. It can also serve an evangelizing and edifying function for others. And this is part of what Pope Francis is calling us to do, to be missionary families. One of the great challenges of the contemporary world 
is to help young people and all people now, not just young people, to not believe the temptation that they are unlovable or that they are unloved. Because in the competitive world, in the sensual world, in the materialistic world we live in, we are being held to standards that no one can live, no one can achieve, and quite frankly, they shouldn't. But we're told we should. So gather that family of yours around the table and give thanks for what God is doing in your life. I travel and I do dishes. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.